I know some, I know some churches that have grown. Some of them call uh, them mega churches. I know political parties can grow. I know debt can grow. I know a lot of things can grow. But look what your Bible says. Acts chapter 19 to verse 20. So mightily grew what? The word of, uh, the, the word of God and prevailed. Now, Paul is still in Ephesus, and he's taken, a, uh, he's taken a quick trip through what's called Asia Minor. We also call it modern Turkey. And he's got to get to Jerusalem for Passover. This is his third missionary journey here, and he loves Ephesus. He'll pass through Ephesus several times as he travels all by foot, remember. And he wrote the, gospel, uh, the, the book of, uh, to the Ephesians, um, which is a brilliant, uh, one of the top books in the New Testament. It's just like a gem. Ephesians and Philippians are just the best read. Very deep, very thoughtful, but very encouraging. He wrote that to these Christians that, that we're going to uh, encounter here in chapter 19. Now, while he's there, however, before the church really takes off, he's about to experience a revival, a great awakening. Leave me is what we need today. We don't need to just have church. Uh, we need a great awakening. Uh, the Bible says there in verse 20, it says the, uh, the word of God prevailed. What does that mean? It means it proved its, itself to be superior over everything else. All right, you ever arm wrestled and you prevail? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this, this city of Ephesus was a very dark city. Uh, Corinth was a very sinful city. Uh, Ephesus was very uh, religiously dark city. There's a lot of, of demonic activity going on. And instead of the darkness prevailing, the word of God does. So, uh, folks, let me just tell you, when you think that all the darkness that's going on today, all the stupid politics, all the religious abuses, all the cultural perversions, when you think that they're winning, remember that this book that you hold in your hand, the very word of God will always prevail. Will always, always be right. So let's uh, look back there in verse 8. We're going to end up down in verse 20, but let's start back in verse 8. We left off last week. And in verse 8, it says this. And he, Paul, went into the synagogue, and he spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing, and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. I know, I know people who can talk the bark off of trees. I know people who can talk politics all day and all night long. But Paul talked and he disputed, which means he was in debates and he persuaded people about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is different than the kingdoms of this world. Kingdom of God is not a political party, folks. If you think Sinn Féin is a, is a kingdom of God, I'm here to sadly awaken you. Uh, Sinn Féin, uh, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, all of those are failures. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. You want heaven on earth, get into the kingdom of God. So he's telling everybody this, this kingdom is different than all the cultures we come from. It's better. The kingdom of God is much better than whatever culture you grew up in. The kingdom of God is the gospel. It is the, the, the new birth. You were born a sinner. You were born wrong. And it's great to find out you can be born again and be born right. When you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you are receiving a kingdom, folks. You're not just, uh, you're not, you're not just religious. I mean, just put the word religion out of your mind and realize, ah, I've received eternal life. It's an everlasting kingdom that comes into your life. Now, people have to be persuaded. I mean, it's not just something you feel yourself into. Uh, you got to let go of this world in order to accept that world. So you notice there, as he's persuading, it takes time. Uh, he took three months going back and forth, everybody, and he wasn't finished. But, you know, it takes time talking to people about the gospel and explaining things. Uh, the radio has 30-second you know, sound bites and you, you can't, and they expect people to vote based on a 30-second soundbite from somebody? You better do your research. And when it comes to the Bible, it comes to Christianity, you better do your research. It takes time to be persuaded. 
It takes time answering questions, clearing up confusions, explaining things. Paul spent three months trying to convince people about what sin is. You say, I know what sin is. I bet you don't. You think sin is everything you don't do. <laughs> and then and, and you've got this, this level that you're, you're at instead of realizing we're all sinners and we're in trouble with God. It takes time explaining about God's righteousness and about how to be saved from his coming wrath. And it involves teaching. Preaching saves a soul. It sure can save somebody. You say, man, it's very embarrassing hearing somebody raise their voice and make a point. But, but preaching saves a soul, but teaching changes a life. You have to have both. It's called discipleship. Discipleship is where you pass on all that Jesus taught every, passing, passing on all that Jesus taught to every nation. Hold your place here and go back to Matthew. Chapter 28. Talking to somebody yesterday, said, I hear the gospel every Sunday, well, actually, every Saturday, she said, at my church. I said, okay, uh, do you know any of the rest of the Bible? And have you ever picked it up and read it yourself? And she said, no. Look at your Bible, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus says to his disciples, go ye therefore, and what's the next word? Okay, why do you have to teach people? Because there's a lot to learn. You just don't pick it up in the air. It's not a disease. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Here it is reminding you, teaching them to observe, we'd say obey, all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even in the world. That takes, that's a lot of stuff to learn. That's a lot of stuff to teach. That is discipleship. It is mentoring. Uh, I wrote this down. The less you want to learn about Jesus, that's, your, that's, that's up to you. The more darkness you will struggle with and the more bondage you'll stay in. You are not meant to live in bondage, ladies and gentlemen. You are meant to be free. You are made in the image of God. Sin ruins that image, mars that image. And Jesus Christ can restore that soul inside of you, fix every broken piece and you were meant to live in freedom. You may be in jail, in a hospital, you may be in another country being, being abused, but in your heart and your soul it is well. You're free. Amen. That's what you were meant to live like. It means mentoring, where you take somebody under your, your, your wing and you explain stuff to them. One of the greatest privileges I have next to leading somebody to Christ is actually explaining the gospel to them, actually going through the Bible with them. Um, it's what we do on Sunday. I try to explain stuff to you, but it's only for 45 minutes to an hour. Boy, wouldn't it be great to have a little bit more where we're being challenged and we're growing. And that's what, um, uh, that's what Paul was doing. And also, if you're discipling, you have to correct somebody. You have to show them where they're not doing what Jesus said. It is the primary work of Christianity, training people to be like Jesus. That is disciple. Uh, go to Acts 5.42. We read it. Acts 5.42. 5.42 says, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So it's what the first century church did constantly. Um, I've got tons and tons of scriptures I just want you to know throughout the book of Acts they're teaching and preaching and teaching and preaching all the way through and that's why I want everybody man if you can start up we'll start it up again in a few months but boy if you can get started it's it's the way that you grow it will answer questions you'll be able to ask questions it is fantastic in discipleship now when you teach the Bible it'll have two effects look at verse 9 back there in Acts 19 and verse 9 It'll have two effects every time. One of them, it'll thrill. One group, it'll thrill. And the other, it'll harden. So he's teaching in verse 8, verse 9, but when diverse were hardened and believed not, but, e but spake evil of that way, of the way of Jesus, before the multitude, he, Paul, departed from them and separated the disciples, 
disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus now. So diverse simply means many, as if many people were angry and hardened. And it usually is the case, not everybody. I, I remember when I got saved, I thought everybody wanted to get saved. I invited everybody, all my friends. I was 17 years old, so every one of the people I knew in my secondary school that, that I could talk to is I, I actually got a little leaflet, invited to church. They said, why don't you come out to church? Man, we got a great youth group. My pastor's the best pastor in the world. He'll preach and he'll explain the Bible. And they looked at me and he says, you're a nut. And they'd walk away. And I go, what is wrong with him? <laughs> and I thought everybody would want to get saved. But man, not everybody does. And a lot of people get really angry at it. Because the Bible cuts to the heart, doesn't it? This is not a philosophy. This is not ideology. This is the truth. And none of us like the truth being exposed about ourselves. So it hardens some people. The Bible even warns us, says, be careful when your heart becomes hardened because of the scriptures, man. So these angry guys, these angry people stirred up yet another riot against the Christians and against Paul in Ephesus. And their threats drove Paul away. And I started thinking, why is Paul running? Now, I, I understand it. But he often walked away from a fight. Because he one time back there in Acts chapter 16, he got stoned and everybody thought he was dead. How many times can be, you be stoned <laughs> and walk away? So he knew, all right, I need to just walk away from this thing. But even though he pulled out of the synagogue... He never quit preaching the gospel. A door opened up. A guy named Tyrannus opened the door and says, you can use my school. You can teach your students and anybody wants to come. And it's free speech where maybe somebody doesn't want it. Well, then you move over here and you preach it. You don't censor something that everybody's upset at. No, you get it out. Jesus, when he would go into a city and they reject him, he'd just go to another village, go to another town. That's what we do found a great opportunity there um, and um, oh let me show you uh, I don't think I read it all verse 9 did I finish that oh no verse 10 I want to show you just some and this continued by the space of so I got news for you if you stay with the discipleship and we'll break into small groups after a while right now we'll start off everybody in in one main discipleship class but will break into smaller groups it, if you stay with it and if you just go normal and have all the questions that Weston had which is a lot it takes two years so you're in good company it took two years for Paul working with everybody explaining as much as he he, he did so um, it influenced what is amazing look at verse 10 this continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both the Jews and Greeks. Did everybody believe? Did everybody like it? No. Did everybody come to church? No. But everybody heard. That's evangelism. Your, jo your job, like a farmer, is not to make crops grow, not to make people get saved. Your job is to get the gospel out. God gives the increase. The word does the work. And everybody, that is absolutely phenomenal. Think about it. The entire region of what we call Asia Minor, it's, also, it's called uh, Western Turkey, heard the gospel. Now, that's a modern picture of Turkey, but I want you to, a lot of people see Bible maps, they don't think they're real. But that's Turkey, way over on the West Coast. If this will work. Um, uh, the gospel started getting out and going further and further across all of Asia Minor there. Because Paul was teaching and discipling and, and, and helping people learn the word of God. Now, that, that's very important because it, I can preach all day, but if you're not learning, learning, it's no good. So sometimes I speak real plain. I just talk down at the low level of normal conversation. I don't use fancy words. I don't ever try to show you a Greek word or a Greek meaning or show off the Hebrew or use some fancy you know, high church terminology, I talk like you do. Because Jesus did too. So I want you to learn the scriptures. And that's what got the gospel out was people were learning the weight and the value of what they were learning. I, if, if I came along and, and um, uh, you know, I, I put a, uh, a little pouch in, in your hand and inside that pouch, I didn't tell you what was in there. I said, 
um, don't throw it away. And so you never look inside. And so you just put it in your pocket, and then when you wash your clothes, it gets lost or whatever. And I tell you, next week I say, in, I gave every one of you a two-carat diamond. <gasps> You'd go looking through the plumbing. <laughs> but when we don't know the value of what we're given, what we have in our hand, the salvation that has been given to us at the, Christ, at the cost and expense of Christ, when you learn it, 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 it just takes over. You go, Wow. How did the whole area of Asia hear it? Because they talked about it. How does everybody hear, you know, about a, a hurricane over in Florida? Man, it's talked all over the news and people talking about it, sharing about it stuff. We're great at talking. Why don't we share the gospel? The entire region heard because people talked about it. And they lived it. What good is it if we're not living by the Bible? You are a living, walking, talking Bible. They may never hear a word of scripture, but they see it. And they better see it right. Publicly living the scriptures and then taking it with them. Uh, you know, uh, they didn't leave it at home or at church. A lot, the world doesn't mind if we meet in the four walls of a building, as long as we don't take what we learned out there. So make sure you take what you learn here and pass it on to someone else. It really freaked me out that uh, when I first got saved and my pastor would preach something and then during the week I'd be talking to somebody and they would bring up a question that he preached about on Sunday and I go I got the answer <laughs> and I needed to take what I learned and use and that's how it gets out now verse 11 comes up with some special miracles and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. And I want you to understand, and you ought to circle those words, by the hands of Paul, verse 12. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. All right. Well, this is the scripture that most charismatics get the idea of miraculous napkins. <laughs> miraculous handkerchiefs. Miraculous aprons. And miraculous prayer cloths that have been anointed, specially anointed to unsuspecting people. Folks, don't ever think, I don't know, don't ever think that these guys, don't ever think that they're not abusing the word of God. Just because they get up and they can quote some scripture, folks, they are wearing gold on every ring, on every finger for a reason. Because people pour money into their pockets left, right, and center. Folks, when they offer you a holy napkin, and don't think that they're the only ones at it, there's also something called holy water. You see, every religion has a way to make money off of people. And I want you to understand, these guys are what religion has, has ruined about the gospel. They come along and they'll talk more about miracles and tongues than they do about sin and righteousness and getting born again. You see, you can't, you can't make money off something that's free. <laughs> I can't charge you to get saved, amen? But I can charge you for something that'll get you an answer to prayer. Yeah. Notice what's actually happening here with these miracles. And I believe the miracles. I believe people were getting healed, but they were being healed. They were verifiable. Uh, you want to go onto YouTube and find these people. And this woman comes up and she's wobbling like this. And then she sits down and that great evangelist, that apostle of faith, He'll say, we're going to straighten out her shortened leg. It's right in front of you. The camera's going, and he pulls that leg out. And all of a sudden, she can walk straight. And the whole crowd goes wild. It's a lie. It's to make you think that they can cure cancer, which they never do. It, how come they never restore a, a, an amputated arm? How come they can't fix things? They can't. They just put on a show. These were verifiable miracles. If they weren't verifiable, Paul would have been thrown out for as a fraud. Secondly, it was done by Paul alone. Did you notice that? God wrought spiritual miracles by the hands of Paul, not by everybody. See, every Christian wants the ability to do a miracle. I wish I, there have been many times I've sat in the hospital and wished I could pray and God would give miracle healing right there. Hundreds of times you just cry out, say, Lord, please, I wish I had that power. Paul did. All the apostles did. 
Um, Got to stay on my focus here because I get lost. Thirdly, it was for the benefit of unbelieving Jews. The purpose of that thing, remember those three months he's working with the Jews? And so when he's doing those miracles of people getting saved, it's to convince the Jews, you're missing out, guys. This is what the Holy Spirit does, and you're missing it out, missing out on it. Verse 13, 13 and 14, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you. That's a word that just means we command you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Now, what are they watching? They're watching Paul be able to preach and people get healed. They're watching people who've been screaming all night long, unable to stop, and they're possessed by a demon. And as he preaches and he just puts his hand on them and says, be free, and they're healed. Right then, these guys come along and says, let's try it ourselves. So uh, verse 14, and there were seven sons of one guy named Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. So wandering Jews, is, it, it, it's, these men were known as wandering Jews, which means they were unsettled. They were always moving around. We call them nomads. But not only were they unsettled in where they lived, but they were unsettled in their doctrine. These guys were wandering from religion to religion, from experience to experience, from church to church, never settled. They would believe something for a little while, and then they would drop out and believe something else. They usually had no family because nobody would go with them. Nobody would marry them. And that was fine with them because they wanted no responsibilities. That was called a vagabond. Not a good way to live. Uh, folks, um, you and I need to be thorough enough to find out what is true and stick with it and not be constantly changing from church to church and thought to thought and philosophy to philosophy and YouTube to YouTube. These uh, men were known as exorcists for hire. They made money off of kicking out demons out of people. There are people out there right now who you can call and say, my daughter's this, would you come kick them out? That's what these guys were. They were dabbling in the occult, playing with fire, so to speak. They were interested in Jesus, but only superficially, only to use him. They wanted to use his power, the power of his name, for their own purpose, not to save souls. Now, Sceva, he was one of the chief priests there in Ephesus, very well-educated man. But how did sons turn out? You ever look at your kids and wonder what they're doing when you're not around? See, here's a, here's a Jewish priest, and he's probably very educated. He's a leader in the community, but his sons are messing around with the occult. His sons are exorcists. That's not what you're supposed to be involved in. And it's a scary thing as a dad, especially. You need to find out what your kids are into. You need to find out what, what, what are they watching? What's influencing them? What are they playing with? These seven sons were dabbling in the occult. I grew up. You know what, you know what kids are still being bought for Christmas and their birthdays? Ouija boards. What's with that? These seven sons were dabbling in the occult. They thought it was okay to, to command a devil to come out of this possessed man in Jesus' name. And, oh, that's all harmless. Or is it? Look at verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? I love that. <laughs> what a question, man. Who are ye? Do you notice who he respects? The name of Jesus. That evil spirit inside that man said, I know Jesus. You better believe he knew Jesus. It's amazing to me. Every demon in the universe knows about Jesus and respects him. Why don't people? Respected the name of Jesus. Uh, let's go to, they were in terror. Go to Luke chapter 4. Go back to Luke chapter 4. In verse 33, holding your place there in Acts 19, Luke 4 and 33. Jesus goes into a synagogue. 
And it says, verse 33, and in the synagogue, Luke 4, 33, and in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. I don't think there's any clean devils, <laughs> but it emphasizes it's a filthy, wicked presence in the mind and the heart of that person. And that spirit cried out with a loud voice, verse 34, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus? Jesus didn't come in and announce who he was. The Spirit already knew who he was. Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. That Spirit is terrified of him. Actually, uh, the Spirit cries out and says, Don't destroy us yet. Don't judge us yet. They're terrified. He not only respected Jesus, that Spirit respected the Apostle Paul. You see, now, you got to remember, Apostle Paul's not much. Paul says, I'm a sinner, chief of sinners. I'm not holy and righteous and perfect, so don't get that idea. But when that spirit had been conversing with other demons and devils and stuff all throughout hell, there was somebody messing up the devil's plans. Somebody was coming in and undoing, and his name was Paul in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul was just preaching the Bible and, and, and doing what needed to be done to fix people's hearts and lives and so if they ever came around Paul they always pulled away they respected him because he had power but that evil spirit did not know these exorcists who are ye didn't know them that's kind of a strange thing does the devil not know those who are his that is terrible take your Bible turn to 2nd Timothy 2nd Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 2, just before Hebrews, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. The lead singer of ACDC, when his drummer died back in the 1980s, uh, I forget his name, uh, they came out with this album called Back in Black. And um, it was a big hit and everything. And he got on and he says, you know, our drummer, he's in hell right now. <laughs> and we can't wait to go and join him. It's going to be a great party down there. Isn't that something? You know, the devil doesn't even know those creatures. Doesn't even know people who are singing about him and loving him and doing his will and playing his music. The devil doesn't care about them one second at all but let me show you the other side second timothy chapter 2 and verse 19 nevertheless the foundation of god standeth sure having this seal having this proof the lord knoweth them that are his <laughs> Woo, he knows me the lord knoweth them that are his and let everyone that nameth the name of christ depart from iniquity you know what jesus says in john 10 he says I'm the good shepherd and all that. Then he goes down and he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Isn't that precious? I mean, look, you got to understand the God you're serving, I hope he knows you because if the God of this world is your God, the God of darkness, the God of, of sin and ungodliness, the God of music and the God of money and the God of, of, of popularity, those gods don't care about you. They don't know your name. But my Savior engraved my name in his hands, the Bible says. He knows me. <laughs> Look down there. Keep going to verse 15. Back there in Acts chapter 19. And down to, we'll read 15 to 16 then. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. Because they just said, in the name of Jesus, come out of that man. And he says, huh, I know Jesus. Paul, I know. But who are ye? Verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on him. He's like, a, like a, an evil villain in a you know, blockbuster movie. This guy coming out with all the fancy moves. Look what he does. He leaped on them, overcame how many? Seven grown men. And he prevailed against them. So they fled out of that house naked and wounded. That's the God they were playing with. Mm -hmm. this, this evil spirit in that man gave him supernatural strength to beat up 
seven adult men at one time, chasing them out of town. Here's the principle. Do not mess with demonic powers. Do not mess with demonic powers. The one power that the Western Europeans have ignored is the power of evil spirits. We're in the West. We don't believe in stuff like that. You, there, there are cultures and, and, and countries in, in the rest of the world that have great respect for evil spirits. And they know you don't play with them. They know that they kill. They know that they, they bring disaster. And, and we think, oh, we're, we're civilized. And yet look at our homes. Look at our cities. Our cities are filled with the devil. For those of us in the Western world to say there are no evil spirits, you need to go for a walk on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night in Cork City and tell me there's no evil spirits. Don't mess with demonic powers. Go to Mark chapter 5. Mark 5. Jesus and the disciples are on a boat, and they come into the other side of the Sea of Galilee into the country of the Gadareans. Gadareans, verse 2, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs. Here's a guy living in a tomb. A man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. I like going camping, but that's ridiculous. No man could bind him. No, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters, and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. He had supernatural strength, demonic power. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying, cutting himself with stones. He's suicidal. What, how did he get that way? We have no idea. I just know this. He wasn't born that way, every child, you look at that child growing up, they got enough wrong for them to be influencing them like they are in the schools now today. The last thing you need to do is be putting more spirits, evil spirits, into their consciousness and into their lives. This guy got messed up. Thankfully, Jesus can unmess it. Amen. Amen. He comes in there and gives him his right mind back. Hallelujah. So, um, this, uh, this evil spirit here, Going back to uh, chapter 19, shows us that you don't mess with demonic's powers. The occult is very popular. People like hypnotic therapy. People like um, uh, New Age meditation techniques. They go to fortune tellers. What? I can tell you your fortune. You're going broke. <laughs> just, just stop spending. I can do it for free. Tarot cards? Yeah, they're kind of popular these days. Uh, I thought they went out a long time ago. I can't believe this is still for sale. Going to Smith's Toys and there they are. Talking to spirits, telling you the future, telling you what you should do. Uh, what about this? Man, I listened. I, it took me years to get all the rock music that I had memorized after I got saved to get it out of my head. And the only way I did it was I just put in it, put in my mind and my heart, godly music, hymns, and I focused on hymns. I love all kinds of good music. I love classical music. But I had to have something strong enough to, to prevail over that stuff that was in me. I could, in my sleep, sing an entire song without thinking about the words. And they weren't good. And that is a spirit that is in Christian homes and in their lives. What about this one? I know people who thrive on the adrenaline of a really dark horror movie that's terrifying, that's demonic. I mean, there's enough to be scared of in the world to throw stuff that Netflix is coming up with into your heart. Demonic powers, that's everywhere. Your kids and their smartphones, they're dangerous. And the kids don't know what they're looking at. And that demonic power, you tell me it won't defile them for the next 20 years before they finally get free of that stuff. I don't know why Christians play with those toys. They call them fun. They're all a doorway, doorway back to hell. So look at verse uh, 17, 1917. And it was known, this event was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And circle these words, fear 
fell on them all. Secondly, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Thirdly, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Fourth, 19, many of them which used curious arts, that's magic, spells. They brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them that found it 50,000 pieces of silver. What's going on? That demonic fight, it's called spiritual warfare, by the way, became well known throughout the city of Ephesus and it started a revival. See, there are two different reactions to when the Holy Spirit begins to work. One of them is revival breaks out. Great awakening. People begin to respond, whew, humble, realizing this is the kingdom to live in. And the second one is riots. <laughs> this morning, we're just going to look at the first one there. And look what it did. It produced fear, which is a good thing, the right kind of fear. The power of that one demon-possessed man terrified the entire city of Ephesus of what the devil could do. And it drove people to look for a greater power. See, a healthy fear of the power of Satan is sometimes necessary to scare a soul to run to Christ. Let me say that again. Sometimes you need to be scared of death so that you cry out, God, save me. Sometimes you need to see people. When, when I uh, was uh, getting ready to drive, we had to take a class. It was called driver's education. In the driver's ed class, back then, they had black and white TVs back then, by the way. No. We had to sit in a trailer in a mobile home where you had a seat and you had the steering column and you had a movie. And at the beginning of every class for about six weeks, you had to watch real live uh, EMS paramedics coming up to a, a car wreck and with the jaws of life, whatever they call those things, breaking open the doors and pulling out body parts and noticing the beer cans all in the back of the car. Why would they show us that? Scare us? Say, that'll be you next if you don't learn how to drive right and you learn to not drink and drive. You learn not to be playing. And, and on, they didn't say on your phone back then. <laughs> but it scared us. Sometimes you need that fear. It's a good kind of fear. Proverbs 16.6 says, the fear of the, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. You know what some of you kids need? Do I dare tell you? A dad who goes, don't do it, or you're in deep trouble. Why would we wait for the Garda to, to get angry and to be upset and to say, stop? When God put a man there to say, you know, my dad, I think I got slapped by him probably four or five times in my life. But if my dad ever raised his voice, yes, sir, <laughs> amen. I didn't fear my dad as a man. But if I was in trouble, he was right. I better shape up. And that helped me. Doesn't save anybody, but it sure helps. Now, when mama's screaming, it's trouble. <laughs> Good kind of fear. Acts 9.31. Go to Acts 9.31. Acts 9.31 says this. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. These are Christians. These are churches. And they were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. That's how come Christians hate. That's why we stay on the straight and narrow. Because I don't want, I'm saved. I don't want to be in trouble with God now. <laughs> walking in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And they were multiplied in number. Secondly, the reaction, the, the fruit of that revival was a good kind of fear that resulted in honoring the name of Jesus. We read it there. Go back to Acts 19 and verse 17. Fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. It means it, may, it, it became bigger than all the other names. I mean, somebody says, oh, he's got a big name in Hollywood. Oh, he's got a big name in the financial markets. Well, Jesus has got the biggest name. And the only way the world will ever think Jesus is important if we make him important. We need to magnify him. That name should never come out of your mouth, slipping out of your mouth, Jesus, where you're not praising him, where you're not saying, do you know him? 
We blaspheme the name Jesus and we don't even think about it. We use it just to say something like everybody else. Honor. Real revival will get where we say, I would never use that holy name in a wrong way. It brought about true repentance. Look there in verse 18. And many that believed came and openly confessed and showed their deeds. People were publicly confessing their demonic secret sins that most everybody was involved in in Ephesus. And they actually showed what they had been doing in secret. They brought it out, out in the open. They brought their books and their, their books on spells and incantations. And I, you say, well, that doesn't happen here. It happens. There are people who have stuff in their library or on their phone that they're embarrassed. If their mom found out or if their wife found out or if their husband found out, you'd be ashamed. These men repented. These women repented. They brought it out and said, I'm never touching that again. There's a story told of a, of a, of a guy who <laughs> we got saved. He was in a western town. I don't remember the name of the guy. The, the guy who was preaching was a guy named Christmas Evans who had got saved himself out of a saloon. And he's preaching his heart out back in the 1800s. And this guy comes in out of the saloon half drunk. And he's preaching, preaching about hell, preaching about you must be born again or else you're going to split hell wide open. So up he comes and he's got this bottle of whiskey and he takes it out and he puts it down on the altar, on the, the podium there. And then he looks up. And so the preacher just keeps preaching. Uh, so he reaches into his pocket. He pulls out a stack of, of marked cards, <laughs> you know, um, poker cards and sets that down and then the guy and the pastor just keeps preaching and the guy keeps looking up going and then he pulls out all this money and he puts it down and he pulls out everything and he looks up and the pastor's still preaching he says preacher stop I ain't got nothing more to give <laughs> what else do I got to give up and the preacher looks at you haven't even given up anything yet not until you're willing to say Jesus saves and he went on and gave him the gospel he says you got to be born again buddy all that stuff is fluff your soul is what Jesus wants give that the man got on his knees and started crying out and became saved Amen. folks repentance now that was a great attitude he had would you agree and it brought him to the place where he says what do I got to do give your soul finally surrender it's me you want Lord here I am true repentance and then they burned some bridges and this is how I talked and we talked back in my day we talk about, oh, they burned their bridges. Now, what that means is, look at verse 19 again. Many of them also, which cur used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. Now, just stop there. Books were rare. Um, I mean, they were all hand copied back then, so it cost a fortune to buy a book. A large volume of book, a large volume book could cost you several months of full-time wages. I mean, say if you worked... Uh, and, and you worked for two months, and all of that you got paid went to buy one book. That's what these books were worth. These were books full of spells and incantations, curious arts. It's magic. They're books about levitation. You should, whoa, you should know the kind of books that were written just a couple hundred years ago were all about fertility. You think not. Stuff 2,000 years ago about fertility about gods and goddesses, curses and powers. And these new believers were repulsed by what they used to believe. And they wanted nothing to do with those things anymore. They wanted no demonic influence in their life or in their home anymore. So they voluntarily burned. The pastor didn't tell them, you need to burn those things. No, that's what the Holy Spirit drove in them. I got to break this. I got to get rid of this. Again, I use my example. I've told you the example. I had a collection of music from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s when I got saved, they'd be priceless now. And I realized all that music, I'd come home after school and I'd turn it on. I, didn't, I had big headphones and I'd listen to that while I'm doing my homework. And I just, but now that I'm saved, I'm going, what do I do with this thing? And I asked my pastor, I said, what do I do with them? He says, throw them away. I said, I can't do that. Mate, what if I sell them? He said, you'd be just passing on a curse to someone else. And then he happened to have a preacher in who taught to rock music and I realized just how evil my rock music was and the words that I had memorized and so I went home and I broke every record that I could there were about 20 of them that were made out of a rubber that wouldn't break they go <laughs> and I burned them did you ever miss them not on your life man 
Not one song still goes. I'd be sitting in Super Valley. You'll be going through, and they're playing something from the 1970s, and I know every word. But what I was able to do was I was able to break that bridge back to that old life. And if you're going to ever reach toward the things that Christ has for you, you're going to have to stop going back. You're going to have to stop going back to the old music, going back to the old drink, going back to the old attitudes, whatever the attitude you had being unsaved, why don't you have that mind of Christ now? But you can't get free of that until you burn the bridge and you make it almost impossible to go back. You know, when you got married, guess what we did? If I married you, we burned the bridges back, didn't we, to the old girlfriends. And your wife helped you, amen? Amen. You don't go back to the old friends. And the word of God prevailed. This is where we started. Look at the end there, verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It's more powerful than the devil, more powerful than fear, more powerful than sin, more powerful than your past. It is superior to everything else. That's the Bible. It brought life to a city filled with darkness. Now next week, we're going to learn about the other reaction. One, of the, one reaction is revival and great awakening. There's one more, and that's rioting. We'll talk about that next week. But let's apply this to us, and we'll be finished. Number one, without a great awakening. People here in Cork, the devil will stay in control of this city that we love and will stay in control of our homes. Do you know the Lord wants this city free? He doesn't just want me saved. Good night. This is not an elitist group we're in. Christ died for sinners. That includes everybody. What will it take to have a great awakening here in Cork? We kind of looked at some of the things there. What will it take for you to wake up? A revival, a great awakening occurs when there's an emphasis on discipleship, where we yearn to learn the word of God. The hardest thing you'll do is switch off Netflix and make time for the Bible. Hardest thing you'll do is get up early enough on Sunday morning to get here so you can learn the Bible. Discipleship will bring revival. I, I, we hand out tracts. I preach. I, I'm, I'm telling you, once we get like Paul in that school and F, uh, that effect of the teaching and the preaching of the Bible together affected all of Asia Minor, it'll affect Cork. Beware, because Bible teaching is going to thrill some and going to upset others. Your wife, your mother, your dad, your nephew is going to look at you and try to stop you. The devil will try to stop you. The car won't start on Sunday morning. I know how it is. Folks, let's decide to influence Cork no matter what. So why we go out on a Friday and we hand out tracts Go door to door. I just want to influence this city before it's too late. Don't worry about special miracles. Paul is gone. I know we ask God for things all the time, and he seems to say no a lot. Sometimes he says yes. But don't worry about special miracles. I see these guys, uh, they're, they're, you know, big name guys. They're nobodies. Don't worry about special miracles here. Uh, the greatest miracle is the humbling. This is the greatest miracle that we need to experience, the humbling of a man before God. So that man's life is changed and he belongs to Jesus Christ. That's the miracle we work towards. Vagabond Christians now abound, folks. I see churches filled with people who come and go, come and go, come and go. What is that? Stick with the power of this book. I just stay with this book. I stay the course. I don't care what happens. I stay the course. Uh, Question is, real quick, does the devil know your name? If you're not saved, he doesn't. Doesn't care about you one second until you try to do right. Here's the worst question. Does God know your name? There's coming a day where people will line up and the Lord will look, have, your, uh, have a book opened and look for your name. And if it's not there, he'll say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Jesus will say, I never knew you. Let's bow in prayer and stand with me, please. As we stand in prayer, take a moment, think for a second. Lord, 
This is serious business. We're not just in this for a good feeling. There's a spiritual battle going on. It's going on right now in this room. Things are going through people's minds and hearts. Would you please prevail? Let the word of God this morning prevail over the grip of our past and our failures or our sin. Let the word of God prevail over every demonic thought. There are people who struggle, struggle with cutting, with suicide, with constant dark thoughts. Dark thoughts. That's okay. Because in the hands of Jesus, he can heal everything. We are failures. But to God, we're everything. We're worth more than the entire world. And he died for sinners. How's that? That's the love of God. And would somebody in this room cry out to you and say, God, if that's true, I want it. I believe it. I don't know what revival is, but you've woken my heart. You scared me. I, I've messed around with stuff, and I'm ashamed of it, but I don't know how to get free of it. Would you please save me and make me free? Every person in this room, I'm glad you're here. But the devil's got some hidden back doors in your life, constantly pulling you down dark paths. God doesn't want you going that way, and he... He aims to scare you and get you committed to bringing that stuff out to the light, talking to somebody, and getting free, living the Christian life free, full of joy, full of peace, full of the Holy Ghost of God. Lord, I, I, I don't know why you want to know me, but the Bible says you do. You know my name. Lord, I pray. Lord, everybody in this room would examine their own hearts and say, am I known by Jesus as one of his? And if not, I pray they get saved. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your hymnal.